Hi, I'm Sheridan, and the Bible reading tonight is from Hebrews 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Uh, The next part is Hebrews 5 verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's words all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Don't take it personally. Can you hear this? Don't take it personally that you're slow of mind or anything like that. It's just a, it's a Hebrews thing. I'm really looking forward to Hebrews. You can see how much I'm looking forward to Hebrews. It's a lot of fun. Uh, for those of you who wanted to know about um, Scott and Joe's kid, uh, Annalise Victoria, it's a girl, I hope. It is, definitely. It's about that long. They did all the measurements. and If you want to know what they are, ask some girl. Um, but because they did them, everything seems to be normal, um, and they reported that. So it's really, really good. I'm looking forward to catching up with them and seeing their third one. So that's the first thing I had to do. Second thing I had to do is to welcome you. It's really great to have you here. It's a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to Hebrews, I must admit. Daryl and I were talking about it right at the beginning, and he, I think he had a little grimace on his face when we talked about the next book is Hebrews, because it's just, I don't know, but it, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a hoot, really. So if you're here for the first time, we've got about the next eight weeks. We're only going to get through the first four chapters, but it's going to be great. Um, yeah. The third thing to do is, is one announcement. Um, Figs starts this week on Saturday. Now, Figs um, is great, but it's for young people in high school. They are having their first meeting on Saturday, and the announcement is that they kind of start off with um, an icebreaker, a game type thing. Then they have a prayer and then they do Bible study and then there's supper afterwards. So please, if you're in the high school area and you want to do some Bible study and, and get together with other young folk, please feel free to come and join. It's going to be in the conference room on Saturday. And if you need any more information, Elaine's here and she's got some flyers and she can answer your questions about that. As we come to look at Hebrews, let's just ask God's blessing on our time together. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come, we have a look at this passage of Scripture, and in particular, just an outline of the whole book. We ask that you might encourage us for the future as we look forward over the next eight weeks in the evenings, uh, just beginning to look at this magnificent book that you've given us, that we might be encouraged in our faith, that we might learn, and uh, that we might truly become the people that you want us to be, in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there you have it up here. Tonight we're not actually going to go through much of a passage. Can't help myself. We're going to go through the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. The first sentence in Greek is Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. And I kind of figured if, if I got away with just doing that first sentence, that would be great. So that's going to be towards the end of the sermon. But I thought I'd give you a bit of an introduction. We're going to start off looking why we should study Hebrews or the things that we learn in Hebrews. Some of the things that are in there that I think should excite us to learn and should make us really keen to have a look at this book. And so 
Some of what I'm going to say is really covering the whole of the book's chapters beginning to end, but just to get an idea of why it's really great to come and to study these books. So the next slide, if you can, please. The first one, the first reason, the first thing that we learn in Hebrews and the reason why it's so much fun, is that Hebrews connects the dots between the Old and the New Testaments. How many people here really love the Old Testament? Wonderful. Who kind of thinks, why why do we have it still? We've got the new. Nobody? Good teaching, Pastor Darrell. But sometimes it's a little bit difficult to put... You know, some of that Leviticus, for example, or Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Song of Songs. I saw she's Song of Songs isn't bad. Um, but that type of stuff, and to put it in and say, how does that, how does that impact my Christian faith? Well, um, Guthrie, who's a famous commentator and, and writer in, in the New Testament, he says this about the book of Hebrews. He says, of all the writings of the New Testament, none is more saturated with overt references to the Old Testament. The author is so, has so filled his discourse with Old Testament thoughts and passages that they permeate every chapter. 35 quotations from a Greek translation of the Old Testament and 34 allusions work to support the development of whatever the Hebrews' argument is. In addition, the writer offers 19 summaries of Old Testament material and 13 times he mentions an Old Testament name or topic often without reference to a specific context. So it's just fantastic that we get this picture in this book that connects the Old Testament and the New Testament for us. And as we look at that, as we understand that, and we we look at how that works, it should help us at times to give us a greater clarity of the Old Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, Paul says this about if you want, the Old Testament. They give us a bit of an idea of what Hebrews is pointing to. It says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of feast, new moon or Sabbath days. These are only the shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. And that's one of the great things we pick up from the book of Hebrews. We, we begin to see how the Old Testament is just a shadow. But in that shadow, we see the reality of Christ page after page, chapter after chapter, verse after verse. And we we learn something of that when we read through the book of Hebrews. That's one thing as we go through Hebrews that we need to learn. The second, I've only got six of these. I've kind of summarized a few of them because I figured if I had 13 points, some people would be asleep by point seven. So I summarized them to six. You'll be happy because I didn't think anyone would go to sleep with just six points. The second point... One of the things that we learn from Hebrews, which is just wonderful for our Christian faith, is that the book of Hebrews exalts the person and the work of Christ Jesus. We sing the praise of Christ Jesus. And this book, in some ways, not more than any other, but throughout every single page, is pointing us to how great Christ is. So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we've been singing about. This is what we as Christian people are focused on. And this book, the book of Hebrews, is going to help us to do that, to focus on Christ in a way that we need to. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water." As we go through the book of Hebrews, you should get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Sometimes when I talk to folk and I ask them, what's so great about being a Christian? They talk in many ways for everything that's happened to them. And one of the things that Hebrews does is it it focuses and nails what's happened to us in the person of Christ Jesus. So that 
he becomes the central reality of our faith in even greater ways maybe than he is now. Number three. See, we are going through this fairly quickly. We'll get through it. Number three. Hebrews emphasises the authority of the word of God. One of the things that's impressed me since I've come to this church is the way in which scripture is seen as being authoritative in all aspects of life. Well, One of the things that is wonderful, I suppose, as we study the book of Hebrews is that constantly throughout it, it pulls our attention back and focuses it back on the word of God. And we'll see in one of the next points, not just focuses us on the word of God, but encourages us that it needs to remain focused on the word of God. It's not simply a matter of knowing, you've got to do it. And it can, it, it, when it says it emphasises it, it exhorts us to focus in on the word of God. Not just to read it, but to ponder it. The Psalm 111 says that we as followers of God, if you like, are to delight in the works of God, in the person of God, in the word of God. It's supposed to become our bread and butter, if you like. And what Hebrews does is it highlights that for us. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Talking about the children of Israel who disobeyed Old Testament into New Testament. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so what the book of Hebrews does all the way through it is to focus our attention back on the fact that God has sent his message into the world. And we'll see as we get later on, the beginning of chapter 1 of Hebrews, that message is not just the words, but it's the very person of Christ Jesus and As we understand who Christ is and the message that he has brought to us, then it changes everything for us because it is authoritative for us. Number four. Now we get to some of those things which I think are fantastic, but I also kind of hesitate a little bit. You know how you like doing good things, but you don't like being pushed too much? I'm going to the gym at the moment, basically because since I've arrived at this church, I've gained weight. And I don't know what that is. It's not the food. The food's great, but for some reason. So I'm going to the gym. And um, I go down there and there's really skinny, weedy little people. And, and they put it down to number 10 on the weight machine and they're going like that. And I think, that's good. That's good to kind of give me that little push. I like that. But then when they start doing it down to number 12 or number 13, number 14, I think, well... That's taking this encouragement of me a little too far. You know, ratchet it back a little bit. Now, the fourth thing which I think is great about the book of Hebrews is it won't let us be complacent. I've been a Christian now for over 30 years. And there's a tendency, I think, after you've been in a relationship with God for that long to just begin a little bit. It happens with our earthly relationships. I've been married now for... 27 plus years and there is no tendency to become there's a tendency to become complacent you know you don't always try and make that relationship get better and more exciting and yet you need to do that you need to keep it going so that relationships continue to grow and it's the same with our relationship with God who's been a Christian here more than 50 years so there's about four, four or five of you that are out there, 50 years having this relationship with God. And the book of Hebrews is going to say, it can get better. It can get deeper. It can get stronger. Don't rest on your laurels. Who's been a Christian less than one year? Right? There's a few, two, three. You can't rest on your laurels either. You can't kind of think... Well, you know, in five years' time or ten years' time, I'm going to get this. The book of Hebrews says, no, it's a constant growing process all the way through. And not only that, you've got to keep going. 
You've got to keep growing. Whose Christian knowledge and Christian depth is greater now than it was two years ago? That's most of you. That continued growth is what's expected of Christian people all the way through till we go to glory. And one of the things I love about Hebrews is it says you're not allowed to be complacent. The thing I don't like is it keeps prodding me and says your rate of growth, sorry, needs to ratchet it up just that little bit more. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 11 and 12 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Now you understand where I got the example from my weights from. But this is what it's supposed to be for our faith. And Hebrews just challenges us all the time to keep getting closer to Jesus. Keep understanding who Christ is and keep letting that affect who you are. It also says in chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain, we read this passage, because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That's the uncomfortable side of things. It says... Most people whom this letter was written to hadn't grown as much as they should. They should be at that next step. Has anyone ever worked with a personal trainer? I hate personal trainers. I, um, anyone here a personal trainer? Love you as a person. It's just the... Um, I, I got this free personal training thing in the gym I joined a while ago. And I enjoy that hour workout. But then when this personal trainer came to do it, after about 15 minutes, I I was ready to die. And they said, get up. And I said, I'm dead. And they said, you can do more. I said, I can, but I'll die and I have a family. (laughs) And they said, suck it up. Get up and go for it. You should be doing more than this. You're in your 40s already. And if you're not soon, you you know, you'll just be a fat old 50-year-old. And I couldn't believe they said that. But that's the pushing that comes. And the writer of the Hebrews says, keep going. Don't, don't stop. The fifth thing that's great about the book of Hebrews, and it's really good to read, and I think it's one of the things that it encourages us for, is that it holds us accountable. It, it gives us this, this time as we study, as we read it during the week, to take stock of ourselves. But it's interesting, it doesn't ask us to be accountable just for us, individually, me, but us corporately as a body, for the people around us who are brothers and sisters. And it says, not only are you accountable for your walk of faith, but you're accountable for our walk of faith. And it, it, it puts it up in front of us and says, this is what you need to do. And it gives us examples throughout the book of Hebrews that encourage us to do that. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, says this, Let us, plural, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if that was where I stopped at all those five, you might think, well, I'm going to stay awake because it sounds like it's one of those personal trainers for the next eight weeks. I'll come in the morning and study 1 Samuel, which is not a bad thing to do. Good book. Old Testament, very useful. But the the fifth thing which is really encouraging about the book of Hebrews is that every time it really encourages, and I mean gives you that personal trainer experience where it's really in your face and says, are you really sure that you're walking as you should walk? It then has a great message of encouragement for us, for people who are wanting to serve God. And the book of Hebrews has some fantastic and amazing encouraging passages through it for for those of us who maybe are struggling a little bit with our faith or as we look back at the past we worry a little bit the book of hebrews has some really nice passages which come along and give us the confidence to keep walking with with christ for example in hebrews chapter 6 9 to 12 just after there's been this 
really hard passage, if you like, both hard to understand but also hard to, to grasp hold of is what does this mean for me as a Christian? Am I, am I really walking with Jesus as I should? The writer says this, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order that to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience do what? They inherit that which has been promised. So Hebrews not only challenges us, but it encourages us. And one of the things that Hebrews does, which I think is fantastic, it it gives a specific teaching on Jesus as our high priest. It's, It's talked about in the rest of the New Testament at times, but it's not an understanding which is firmed up for us. You know, if I, I think if I was to go around and ask you, what does it mean that Jesus is high, your high priest? You kind of have these, I get these vague responses. And I, I think I'd give vague responses. But the book of Hebrews encourages us that we have an advocate in heaven who is there as a mediator for us, between us and God. And that's an amazing thing that should encourage you and encourage me. And as we come to Hebrews, we can understand that more. So in chapter 4, verses 14 through to 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So what's the conclusion? What's the encouragement for us because of who Jesus is as our high priest? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what are the six things that I think over the next eight weeks and as we finish Hebrews later in the year we can take away from it? That you can look forward to or that you can already read and learn is that you can help to get this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament you will have the opportunity in the book exalts Jesus Christ to the place the unique one God himself it emphasizes God's word and shows the importance of God's word in our life it will condemn complacency in us and it will hold us accountable but it will encourage us And it won't leave us in that state of being uncertain. But it encourages us because of who Christ is. Fantastic. That's the, that's the, I was tempted to do this second, the positive bit, but I just thought I'd go for it first because this is what I think is exciting. I think they're the exciting things about Hebrews. That's what, give me a great buzz. (sighs) But the next part, why do people struggle with Hebrews? There are some churches which never preach Hebrews. And there's lots of people as they come to the book of Hebrews who do that deep sigh. Young people, for example, we kind of really, I call myself young. I remember when I was young. You go to your first Bible study group or your second Bible study group and they say, what do you want to study? And it's either James, Romans or Hebrews. You want to pick the biggies because you want to get into the depth. If you've got a more mature person or someone who's been a Christian for a little bit longer in that group, as soon as you say James, Romans or Hebrews, you can see their shoulders just are a little bit dejected and they try and talk you out of it. And there are a number of reasons why they do that. Because they're difficult at times to study. And so what I want to do is just highlight some of the difficulties so that when you come to them, you won't get phased by it. Understand, yeah, they're there. But the the points that are the positive ones, the things we take away from it, far outweigh them. And in fact, these aren't that bad anyways. Number one, people get hung up on the fact that the author isn't given. It doesn't say Hebrews written by Paul or John. You can read commentators and they have 13 or 14 different possibilities as who's written by this. And this worries people. Some of the commentaries spend about this much pages of it a book on who wrote Hebrews and why maybe it isn't scripture. They argue forever about it. 
and it bothers people. Maybe it was Priscilla that wrote it, and then people get all upset because a chick wrote a book of the Bible, and you know, people worry about stuff like that, and it bothers them. As I come to it, and as you think about that, one of the things that I've been reading as I've read through a number of commentaries lately is if, if that is a bother with you, I think it's actually not given to us. I don't think there's an author there deliberately. I don't think it's just that he forgot to sign his name. In, in the whole way that the book is written, it's almost as if he doesn't want us, or she doesn't, no arguments, want us to know who wrote the book. In fact, if you look at all of the Old Testament citations in the book of Hebrews, None of the human authors are given there either. You see, one of the things that Hebrews wants us to do, which we talked about beforehand, is understand that the authority of Scripture, that this comes from God. In fact, the whole message of the book is that this message from God is a word from God. And that's how it's supposed to be understood. So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 3, the passage that we're just going to touch on briefly at the end, it says this, In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. And then he goes on and talks about how God spoke in the Old Testament. And the idea is that this is God's word. And I think it's the reason why there's no authorship. But if you get hung up on that, understand that lots of people get hung up on it. Another reason that people struggle with the book of Hebrews is it's a little bit difficult to put into its context. It's really good if if the writer of the book says, I'm writing to you people, because then we can look at their background, their culture, whatever, and we can filter what's being said through some sort of mesh that helps us to understand it whereas we don't have that in the book of Hebrews and so there's lots of things that are said that people kind of struggle with because they say where does that fit is that a Hebrew thing is that a Greek thing is that from the early time is that from the late time where's it from we don't quite understand that we don't get it however I think as you look through it although that's a difficulty and I accept that there's a few things I think a book does have for us which makes it relevant for us Firstly, it's really clear that the people who this book is written to are believers. All the way through, the writer of this book makes it clear that the people he's writing to know Jesus. They've got a relationship with Jesus. But not only are they believers, they're not new believers. These guys have had enough time in their life to receive persecution. So they're like us. It's not as if this is a book that you kind of dump on somebody who's just become a Christian say so you really need to book the book of Hebrews and get your act together. No, this is a book for people like us who have been Christians, if you like, for a while. We've, we've had some experience with Jesus. The people that he's writing to, he says to them very clearly, look, you've been a Christian for a while, but I want you to know that it's going to get tougher for you. I like that, actually. Because as we read through it, I can relate to the fact that as we look forward, things are going to get tougher. One of the interesting things he says, though, there is that they're going to get tougher because you still don't understand enough. And it's that push to understand more so that you're ready for the tough times. And as I think about it and reading it, I want to be ready for those tough times. The people whom he writes to are still immature. They still don't have it all together. They're still struggling with bits and pieces. And they're negligent. And if I look at those things that they're written about these people, I kind of think, well, that can at some ways be pointed to all of us. So that even though that is a difficulty, we don't know who it's written to exactly, I think it's applicable to all of us in some stage. And so I hope that as we go through it, as those difficulties arise, you'll see that, even if it seems a little bit out of place, the writer's written it to us. The third reason that people struggle with this, and this is probably out of all of these, the one that I have the most trouble with, he, he, he's not a very good Bible scholar. 
the writer, she's not a very good Bible scholar. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, the way they use the Old Testament is different from the way we in the West, in this century's church, uses the Old Testament. It's used differently than we would expect it to use. I'm actually probably more comfortable with this the the further and the more times I read Hebrews than I am when I first started reading Hebrews years ago. But there's this idea that that comes through that the, the writer of the Hebrews, if you want this my explanation of why it's used differently, he expects the people who are listening to understand the Old Testament. He expects them to have a clear understanding. So when he uses a phrase or a word, he kind of expects them to pick up all the bits and pieces that are attached to that word in the Old Testament. Whereas lots of times when we use the Old Testament text, we use it as a proof text. We take the passage, be holy as I am holy, and we cut that out and we say, learn this. Whereas the way that the writer of the Hebrews talks about it, he says, uses that phrase, and as he uses it, he expects people to understand everything that's around it. So I suppose with that difficulty of how the Old Testament's used, my encouragement to you is as you read the Old Testament text in Hebrews when you read it, so for example, for next week's sermon, which is the end of chapter 1, there are seven citations of the Old Testament. Don't just go back and read the little bit in the Psalms that it comes from. Read the chapter. Because as the writer of the Hebrews uses the Old Testament, he expects you to know all of that. That's kind of what he ties together in his argument. He expects you to know all the content and the meaning. The fourth reason why it's really tough are the warning passages. There are five of them. These are the things that really muck up people. Who's read the warning passages in Hebrews? Who understands them? There's a couple like this. This causes more arguments than almost anything else. You can get five Christian, mature, godly people together in a room and try and come to an agreement on what these passages mean and it just won't happen. Pastor Darrell, myself and and Josh Tan were in the room together last Tuesday trying to come to a conclusion on what some of these warning passages were so that we were all on the same page. What? And we didn't? We did. We did. We've got to go into a bit more depth, but we definitely did. We got close. There's only three of us. There wasn't five of us. So, but it's, 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 it's hard to do these. Because you see, as you read them, a lot of people as they read them and they read them very loosely, they get this idea, if I'm not following Jesus, I might lose my salvation. If I'm not living this way, maybe he's going to reject me. And these passages in the book of Hebrews worry people. The only thing I can say at the moment is as you read through them, keep reading, read them in context because the bit that comes afterwards is almost always an assurance and encouragement that stand fast, live with the Lord, understand his word and live it out and you will see how he undergirds you and he takes you and he welcomes you home. So keep reading. There's a lot of difficulty there. The the fifth reason why we struggle with the book of Hebrews is it's hard to find the argument. It's hard to string it together. Hopefully this isn't one of them, but you've all been in those sermons, haven't you, where you have no idea where the guy's going? Have any of you been in a sermon like that? Only a few of you, which means what? The rest of you don't listen, or the preachers are really good, one or the other. But who's ever been in a university lecture or a talk where you just have no idea what the person's saying? Uh, There's a lot more people there. I think Hebrews is a little bit that. It's a bit hard to find where he's going sometimes. It's it's like a sermon, um, a long sermon. Not like this one, a long one, a long, long one. Hebrews 13 verses 22 says this, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written you only a short letter. And he goes on for this length. You see, one of the problems is that it's a bit mixed up in the way that it's written. Um, Paul, when he writes, 
he kind of at the beginning of his sermon, as his letter, goes through the theology and then he gives you the application at the end. This is going to be a weird example. Apologies, Pastor Darrell. Pastor Darrell is a little bit like Paul. All right? If you look at Sermons, he kind of goes through the passage, explains it, and at the end he gives you the encouragement, the exhortation. That's like what Paul does. He goes through and does that. Right? But every now and then, Pastor Darrell is different. He, he explains a little bit and then he gives you an exhortation and then he explains a little bit and then he gives you an exhortation and then he explains a bit more and then he gives you an exhortation and then he explains a bit more and he gives you an exhortation. Now that one, it's a little bit hard sometimes to pick out where's the theology, what the Bible's saying and where's the application because it kind of flows from one to the other. Well, that's when Pastor Darrell is talking like the writer to the Hebrews. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is like. He's kind of got this sermon where he says a little something, then he gives a little something, then he says a little something. So, for example, one of the commentators said this, many attempts to develop a theme of the book of Hebrews fail because it fails to take seriously the two different types of literature that are in the book of Hebrews, namely exposition, this is what the scriptures mean and say, and exhortation, this is what you should do with it. And in this book, the book of Hebrews, the author expounds the person and work of Christ and he exhorts people in which he seeks to motivate the congregation to a positive response. So Hebrews does not develop this neat theme from point A to point Z. Rather, the author switches back and forth between exposition and exhortation. He just goes back and forth like that. Although the two work together powerfully, weaving a tapestry of concepts towards the accomplishment of his purpose, they contribute to that purpose in different manners. So as you read it through, sometimes you say, I have no idea where this guy's going because he seems to change his thought and then he goes somewhere else. But think of it in terms of a sermon. That's what he's doing. He's teaching something and then he's saying, you have to live it like that. One of the problems that happens when you read the book is when he says, you've got to live it like this, you think, oh, he's still doing theology. He's still telling me what's true and he's, he's exhorting a type of life. And you have to understand a little bit of the difference. So hopefully we'll pick that up as we go through. The second thing, besides just the fact that it's a bit mixed up, is there's this huge cultural difference between then and now. In some ways, there's this, this comment that I read in one of the commentaries that said that there's this big argument in the early church about what you do with the people of Israel and the early church, how you combine the two, which is one of the things that comes up in the book of Hebrews. And when we get to the book of Romans or the book of Colossians, we get this idea of what exactly it means to be the church as there's Israel and there's the church. And we see this logical progression from one to the other to understand that Christ is supreme. We understand those books. Why? Because most of us are Western in our thinking. We like that logical progressive argument. Hebrews isn't Western. Who's lived in an Eastern country? Those of you who have lived in Eastern country, got a bit of Eastern thinking, you can have a little bit of an easier time with Hebrews. Because Hebrews explains that same difference, the shift of Israel into the church, the Old Testament, New Testament. But the logic that it applies is an Eastern logic, an Eastern way of explaining things. And so for many of us, as we look at that argument, there's this huge cultural barrier that we come through. Because we try and explain everything in this sequential, logical, fit-together way. And that's one way of thinking. Sometimes there's this melding, growing, that's what it is. And that bothers us sometimes. But that's one of the big cultural differences. So as you're reading it, keep that in mind. The person who's talking here isn't, just, isn't talking as a Western, logical, grown-up in the Jewy system. He's someone who's grown up in a whole different way of thinking. The fifth thing about the argument that we have to understand is that it's not only our problem. Even the people who read this for the first time struggle with the way this passage is written. Not because of the way it was written as much, but it's just the depth of what is being talked about. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 says this, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. You're just not going to get it, but I'm going to say it anyways. One of the things... 
Sorry, I get off topic. One of the things that happens within the church is that we tend to dumb everything down for people. I've been a teacher now for over 20 years and I used to teach mathematics. But now as I go back and I see the way maths is taught, no offence to the people who are teaching it now, but I say, why are you dumbing it down? Why are you teaching less than you used to? It just doesn't seem to make any sense. People may or may not agree with that statement. That's beside the point. But one of the things that happen is people say, well, because the kids at that age don't get that. We have to make it accessible to them. And so we put the standard at a level that's accessible to them. And we wait until they're ready to get the highest stuff. Well, what the writer of the Hebrews has done is says, this stuff's important. You're not going to get it, but it's important. I know you're not going to get it, but it's important. I know you're not going to get it, but it's important. So I'm not going to dumb it down for you. I'm not going to bring it down to a level you can easily put it together. I'm going to give you the hard stuff, and I expect you to mull it over and think about it and play with it. And then he says, if you really want to grow as a Christian, that's what you need to do, mull it together. So as we go through the book of Hebrews, I encourage you, that's what you need to do. Chew it over, meditate on it, mull upon it. So... I think it's, um, he was writing to people like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1, 3, he says this, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And that's what the writer says, that's what generally is often it's a part of what's in the churches. And Paul says, so I didn't give it to you there, I gave it to you here. The writer of the Hebrews says, you're not going to get it, but I'm going to give it to you there anyways because you've got to know this stuff. So as people who want to grow in the Lord, you have to really get into Hebrews and learn it. So they're the struggles that we deal with, the authorship, who it was to, how they use the Old Testament, particularly those warning passages and the fact that it is difficult to understand. So now we come to the fun part, which is just the first sentence. That's all I want to do, the first sentence. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, just to let you know that this is a part of that first section, which is from um, 1, 1 to 2.18. What does it talk about? It talks about a number of things, and over the next three weeks we'll be covering this. God has spoken. God has spoken the final word. There's nothing past this. This final word is in the person of Jesus Christ who is over all. And then the bit that we struggle with, because this is an Eastern way of thinking, his whole point of verses 1 to 4, which is one sentence, we get hung up on verses 1 to 3 because we think that's fantastic and we'll get to that in a moment. But his reason for saying that is the thing you need to understand is this. The Son is higher than the angels. And so then at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, because he's higher than the angels, because he's the final word from God, listen to him. And in that first chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, it's this huge warning. Listen to Jesus. If what you have in Christ is what God has to say, the most important message you can possibly ever hear from God, listen to it. If you don't listen to it, you're nuts. Listen to it. And then at the end of chapter 2, he says, He was higher than the angels, but he became lower than the angels for one reason and one reason only, and that was to save people. He wanted to save us because he loved us. Uh, the only other bit that, to mention about the, that first four verses that in terms of its structure is it's one sentence. It's four or five sentences depending on what English translation you have, but it's one sentence. And for those of you who are interested in studying Greek, all right, um, a Frenchman by the name of Speak, who's a, a Greek scholar, he says that it is the most beautiful Greek sentence in the whole of the New Testament. It's the most well-crafted, authentic Greek sentence you'll ever get. Have you ever heard those people speak English and just the way it flows out of the mace is brilliant? Well, this first sentence of Greek is brilliant. I think that's because it's the first few words of his sermon that he's preaching. Preachers tend to really get it together and put that first, sermon, that first 
couple of sentences together brilliantly. We spend more time on that sometimes because you've got to grab the audience's attention with that brilliant story or that eloquent saying or those wonderful moves. Whatever it is, you've got to get them in. And you spend a bit of time in there. And I think the writer of the Hebrews has just put this amazing sentence together. Uh, one commentator said, the author of Hebrews uses a wonderful style. It's effective, it's compact, it's contrasting, there's a poetic structure to it. He leaves things out. He, there's just this repetition, alliteration of words and rhythm. He, he, the use of the Greek language here ranks as the top of the New Testament authors. I'd love to talk about all of that, but we're not going to. Just for you to know, if you ever want to study Greek, read that sentence. That's what Greek's supposed to be like. So then, the first two verses, 1 to 2a, this is the, the stuff that I think we really, besides all that we can get from Hebrews, let's take this away with us today. This is the comparison that the writer is making here, and that is that Jesus Christ is unique. And as we study the book of Hebrews, this is what we need to learn. Jesus is unique. He says, in the olden times, God spoke to us in all these many places, but now in these days, he's spoken in Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's spoken now in Christ. He used to speak to our fathers, and he did it in many ways in the past, but now he's speaking to us. The person of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ is to us. He used to speak in various means to people, but now he's spoken to us in one way, in one means. You understand this. He used to speak at various times, but now he's spoken at one time. The message of Christ is what you need to understand. It encompasses everything and it wraps it all up. He used to speak, or he has spoken in the past, partially. He's given us some of the message. He's shown some of himself. But now you've got the full message in Christ Jesus. He used to speak to us through the prophets, but now he's spoken to us through his son, through Jesus. In the past he spoke to us through prophets who spoke on behalf of God, but now he's spoken to us in his son who speaks as God. It's amazing, this unique Christ, the one that we serve. Now, besides what I think we can take away from the rest of what we've talked about, what do we take away from this? One of the things that that often comes up in the world as we go around today is the fact of how exclusive is Christianity? And often as I go out and I talk to people on the streets and I sometimes go down into the mall, one of the biggest problems that they have with Christians is you're saying that Jesus is the only way. Yep, that's exactly what we say. And the writer of the Hebrews puts it right out here at the very beginning. He says, Christ is the final word from God. There is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. There's no other message. Jesus is unique. And the rest of the book of Hebrews is going to teach us that. Christ is exalted. Draw to him because he's the only way. And if that's not clear in your heads, please make it clear in your heads. The one you serve, the one you worship is the only one to worship and the only way that we might be saved. And if you have yet to come to Christ, understand this from this first sentence in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is unique. He's the only way to know God. He's the full message of God. Then the the rest of that first sentence, he goes through seven statements about how and why the Son is unique. And I just want to read through them with you there from chapter 2, verses from the end of chapter 2 through to verse 4. He says, number one, Jesus is unique. Why? Because he's the heir of everything. He gets everything that's God's. It all belongs to him. No one else has any part of it, if you like. He's the heir of all things. Why? Because through whom the Father created the universe. Jesus is heir of all things and the Father created everything through Christ. And there's this statement of the fact that one of the other things about Christ which is unique is he's before creation. And there's this equating of the Son with God himself. Verse 3, why he's the radiance of God's glory. He's not some reflection. He's not some dim image. We get the fullness of God when we have Christ Jesus. 
This is the one that we worship. He's the exact representation of God's very essence. We see Christ, we see God. We know what God's like. This is why Christ is unique. No, no other way, no other message, no other way of life, path of living has any of this. Only in Christ Jesus do we have this. Not only has he created all things, but it says that all things are kept together by his word. Everything is sustained still by Christ Jesus. So we come to the only one who is holding everything together. And it's this one who has purified us from sin. This is the one that we worship. And not only that, but he's finished the job. He's completed it and finished it. And we have these seven statements of, of who Christ is and his uniqueness. So what I'd like is for us to take that away with us tonight. Understand the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. How he is the only one who can satisfy. That no matter how long you have known him, you need to know him more. No matter how much you understand those seven points, you need to reflect on them and meditate them and understand them to a greater degree so that you can walk with him in a newness greater than you have in the past. And if you're wavering on, do I really want to follow this Jesus or not, understand there is no other way. Next week, um, we'll be looking at the second half of chapter 1, and that's going through all those Old Testament and this whole understanding of Jesus being lower than the angels. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come over the next eight or so weeks to have a look at this word from you, we ask that you might encourage us, that you might help us to continue, even throughout the week, to study this book. Father, there's so much in here that for us as Christian people who want to mature, who want to live for you, that we can get from this book. Father, I pray that you might encourage us to spend the time in it. Even though at times it's going to be difficult, Father, help us to focus still on learning from you. Because we don't want to be the sort of people who are only dabbling in our understanding of Christ, who have just got our toe in the edge, who are still drinking milk. Father, we want to be mature followers of Christ Jesus because we recognise that it is only through Christ that we can know you. It is only in Christ that we have forgiveness for our sins. It is only in Christ that we have a confidence for the future. And so, Father, we want to know him more. We ask that over this next eight weeks and even in this week as we begin to look through the book of Hebrews, that you will take us and begin to deepen our relationship with Christ. Father, if there's people here who have yet to know Jesus, we ask that they might be convicted and convinced that there is no one else except Jesus who can possibly bring them into a relationship with you. Father, we ask all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour, our High Priest. Amen.